Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. Uh, we're in this series called The World is Watching. Last week, I began a series, uh, or this series, and I began with the message really about the end times. Uh, it wasn't a lot of biblical prophecy. It wasn't a lot on the book of Revelation. What the message really was is that what was Jesus' response when people, disciples, asked him about the end of the world and it coming? And so our response is be at peace. Don't panic. Don't get caught up in all of the CNN, MSNBC, uh, Fox News rhetoric. Don't don't get off focus. And um, we got off focus, guys, the past few years. Just the church in general just got off focus. Because we get our eyes on political stuff. Listen, guess what? That's, that's coming up in three years. It's actually fixing to start in another year. It's already started. But you understand, like midway through a presidency, they actually start in the second, uh, turn, uh, the second year of the presidency. And it's two long years of hearing that blah, 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 presidential, presidential mess. Let's not do what the church did in this last one and get so caught up in that stuff that we lose focus of what we're about. Get so caught up in the pandemic that we forget what we're about. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, um, you know, so we missed it in that season. Let's don't miss it in this season. That season's moved on. There'll be another one just like it and probably is going to be as nasty and ugly as the other one. Let's don't get nasty and ugly. Why? Because the world's watching. The world's watching. A lot of people stopped coming to church because of COVID. Why? Because they were watching how we responded. Don't get me wrong. They were ugly too. But just because the world's ugly doesn't mean that we need to be ugly. The world is watching us. And listen, I've had people to get, get, be so upset with me because I wouldn't take a more dogmatic stance about political things. And then I have people upset because you mention anything, you know, like if you, I literally had someone get upset with me for leading a prayer from here for praying for the president of the United States. Like, I'm just sorry, man. We, 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 the scripture tells us to do that, to pray for all leaders, whether we like them or not. Whether you like me or not, you are supposed to pray for me. And I told, this is what I told them. I said, listen, I'm not a politician. I believe there are people who are called to be politicians. They're called to that sphere of influence. There are godly politicians. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but... There are godly politicians, and that's what they're supposed to do. I can't change any laws. The only way that I can change laws is when they're brought before me and, and I can vote on them. And so 
what I focused on during that time were, was just pray about it and vote. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. All right? So let's put that one aside. That's, now let's move to the end times. Last week as I was talking about the end times, listen, there are people that are, they, they actually, I guess, think we can change the end times. Like we can change scripture. We can't. This, these things are written in scripture. Last week we heard Jesus saying, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. In other words, there have been wars. There's a war now. There will be wars after this. They will happen all the way up to the war to end all wars. There's going to be this stuff. You, you know, you can pray against wars and we can pray for wars, meaning, you know, what's happening during. And we should do those kinds of things. But those things are going to happen. But I love how Jesus said, just be at peace. Be at peace. Don't get off focus. Because the world is watching how we're handling that situation. Today, I really want to talk to you about something different. And I want to talk to you about how we deal with difficult people. Like, anybody have any difficult folks in your life? In your marriage? <laughs> Trick question. We all have people that are difficult and many times, we're the difficult person. We're all difficult at some stage, some more than others. But how do we deal with difficult people? Because this is what I want you to kind of focus on for the next few minutes. People who love being difficult can be difficult to love. And, and there's a difference, in, in, in my opinion, there's a difference between being a difficult person and a person who is just being difficult. I, I, I'm just going to give it a little time to sink in because it's... Like there are people, they just enjoy being difficult. They enjoy being dramatic. They, they just enjoy chaos they, it, I, I don't know why, but they, they enjoy that. It empowers them in some way. But I'm not necessarily talking about just those people. I'm talking about there are people who are difficult. Like I remember there was this young lady in our youth ministry years ago when I, when I first graduated uh, college and everybody that we met said, now, Sean, you're not going to be her friend. Uh, Sean, she's, you know, and, oh, wow, Sean was difficult. Uh, you're not going to be Sean's friend. You're not, she, not going to change her. You're not going to make an impact. Sean is just Sean. And I don't know, but Shay and I determined that we were going to be her friend. And she was just hurt, wounded, you know, just messed up family life. And she would walk up, you know, like Shay, ha my wife is dressed in this beautiful uh, outfit today. And Sean would come up and say something to her like, you know, you look like a can of mustard, don't you? Like she, just hurtful things. 
Like, it looks like somebody got a hold of your head with a weed whacker. You know, just hurtful. I'm not making this up. Am I right? She just, she would try to hurt you. And she was a difficult person. I'm not saying that she was being difficult, which she may have been, but she was a difficult person. She was a hard one to crack. You know, she was a hard one to, to, to figure out how to minister to. And there are people in our lives that God will put in our lives to be a witness to those people. But we will miss our opportunity many times because we want to shove them to the side, you know, because they're difficult. It's hard. They are hard work. And as we're talking about this, as we're talking about being difficult, you know, these are, these are things like you have to ask yourself, like, am I a difficult person? Am I being difficult in this situation? And here are some ways that you might be a difficult person, okay? Stop punching your husband in the rib cage back there. I saw that. No. You might be a difficult person if you find it hard to compromise. You might be a difficult person if you easily get frustrated with other people. You might be a difficult person if you aren't growing spiritually. If you're not growing professionally, if you're not growing emotionally, because it's everybody else's fault that you're not growing. Um, you might be a difficult person if you frequently get into arguments or if you find yourself having to meet with people over and over and over to resolve conflicts, you might be a difficult person. You might be a difficult person if you easily complain and criticize and find fault in about any situation or circumstance. You might be a difficult person if you don't have many friends. The Bible says, well, nobody invites me out. Nobody wants me to be a part of that. The Bible says, if you want friends, show yourself friendly. Like you be the kind of friend you want. Um, you might be, we might be, I might be a difficult person if I see other people as the problem. If I have a need to be constantly recognized. If I judge people too quickly. If I don't let go easily and I hold on to hurt and grudges, I might be a difficult person. I might be a difficult person if I resist change. I might be a difficult person if I find problems where there's really no problem. I or you might be a difficult person if you make something harder than it really is. You ever met those people? It's like, it's really not that hard, but they have to make it harder. Um, if you're easily in, uh, irritated or if you always have to get your way. If we're any of these things, we may be difficult people. Am I a difficult person? And so I think at some point in life, we're all difficult people. 
And so we have to give, you know, it's real easy for us to want grace, but not give grace. When we're difficult, I want you to give me grace. But when you're difficult, I want you to get your act together. (laughs) You know, that's how that goes. And I took this personality, or not personality test. I found this uh, online. It's from the Harvard Business Review and from this place called IDR Labs. And there's literally, if you scan that code right there, uh, it'll take you to a uh, difficulty test. And now you got to be honest with your answers because you can skew everything. But this little test that uh, is 35 questions, and this is what my results came out to be. Now, I already knew I was an easy to get along with person. (laughs) But it says that Rive Stewart is a very easy person to get along with. I have a 7.14% difficulty uh, ratio. And Shay and Greg, this morning, when they saw that, they were being difficult. Because Greg said, I think they misplaced the decimal, and it's supposed to go to the right a couple of spaces. Now, I don't know how true this is uh, on the screen behind me, but I can tell you that as I look at it, the areas where I, uh, I typically have uh, some struggles with are uh, sometimes in taking risks, taking risks on people, taking risks on situations, and then uh, suspicion, you know, uh, just being hurt, being let down, being, uh, you know, being disappointed, and you can be guarded, and, uh, and sometimes those can lead someone to be a difficult person and difficult in situations. Uh, And it can even make the situations difficult. But the world is watching how you and I react to difficult people and difficult situations. And so I want to just talk to you real quick about four different kinds of difficult people. And uh, the first is the one-uppers. Uh, the one-uppers are, uh, they can do everything better than you. <laughs> uh, everything they have is better than you. They have more experience than you. They ha- everything is better. They just have to one-up you. Um, then you got the downers. So you got the one-uppers, but then you also have the downers. Uh, these are the Debbie Downers and the negative Nancys and Wonder why those are always women, <laughs> you know? Ne- what is there? Is there a, a, a negative version version for the guy, uh, the downer Danny or something? I don't know. Um, but these are the people that, like, man, they're just negative all of the time. And I'm just telling you, uh, I j- I totally want to avoid those people. I don't know about you, but I do, and uh, because they're difficult for me. And when I have those people around me, oh, it brings me down. It just puts a negative vibe in the atmosphere. Uh, But who loves those people, you know? And who should love those people? Us. So you have the downers. And then you also have the pushovers. These are the people that, like, they don't stand for anything. Um, You know, I I will tell, uh, I'm telling you, let me throw my family under the bus again this week. Man, I'm telling you, 
trying to go to a restaurant with these folks. If you're driving down the road, where y'all want to go to eat? It doesn't matter to me. What about old Charlie's? No, that place is terrible. No, no. All right, what about Cracker Bell? No, no. Uh, they will not make up their mind. And it's like, uh, they won't take a stand for anything. You know, I'm like, somebody, come on, make a decision. And then you decide, you decide. Well, why don't we go over here to Wings? Oh, I ate there last night. You know, I'm like, okay. So you have the pushovers. These are the people that will not take stands. They won't make decisions. These are the people that they just make things difficult because no progress ever gets made. And then you have the takeovers. These are the people that they will take over a conversation. They will take over a project. Now, you know what? I see myself in every single one of those types of people. I have been the one-uppers. A lot of times that comes from a sense of insecurity or identity or, or whatever, um, or a sense of, re- you know, you've been rejected in life and, and whatnot. And I have been the one-upper before. Um, I, as a matter of fact, during rally this morning, when we were rallying all of our ministry teams, I uh, was sharing with them that one thing that I would find myself doing in conversations, you know, John and I might be having a conversation and man, he's pouring his heart out to me about his brother, you know, who's going through this situation. And so I would, in, in, in a way to find a commonality with him, I would say, oh, you know, I went through that same thing with my brother. And before you know it, uh, my, my story's bigger than his brother's story. And I've been talking about my brother when this dude is just trying to share his heart with me. And now it's all about me and my situation. And I've seen myself as a one-upper. I've also seen myself as a downer before. I've seen myself as the pushover. And I've also seen myself as the takeover. Like, I do not like passivity. I just hate it when people are at a stalemate or whatever. And it's like, I'll do it. If y'all like, if y'all can't get your act together or mind made up or whatever, come on, I'll lead, I'll do it. And I find myself a lot of times trying to say, Rife, calm down. You're not the leader. And it's okay if nothing happens in this group today. And inside, that's like, oh, it's like sandpaper because I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, I dedicated two hours of my time for this today. We need to leave here with some takeaways. We got to, come on, we got to give some assignments out to people and whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, that just seems like it was wasted. And I just have to tell the rife, the takeover to be quiet. And so I see myself in all of those at times and I don't see myself as a difficult person. Yet, there we are. Um, So, Jesus had a lot of difficult people in his life. Now, I'm not talking about people who were just being difficult. The Pharisees were the people in his life that were just difficult. They're just being difficult. I mean, Jesus walks through town and they find something wrong that he's doing. I mean, they're picking a few ears of corn on the Sabbath and they want to write him up, drag him before the Sanhedrin, 
trying to catch him in different kinds of uh, things. You know, just being difficult. And then he had people who were difficult. Pretty much all of the disciples were difficult. If you go look at the disciples, you can see that they are almost all of them difficult. You got Thomas who is doubting, you know, he, he literally has that label attached to him, doubting Thomas, you know. He, come on, man, where's your faith, Thomas? Oh, you of little faith, you know, increase your faith. He had um, Saul, you know, Saul was a difficult person. Now, we read the Bible and, you know, we, we read it through whatever lens or perspective we have or whoever the preacher is through his lens or, or whatnot. But Paul was a difficult person. Y'all would have hated Paul as a pastor because Paul ain't no pastor. Paul is an apostle. Paul is not your fix your hangnail, change your spiritual diaper, He's, he's not, he ain't got time to be coming over and helping y'all fix your roof or anything like that. He's going to appoint people to do that because he's out fixing to start another church somewhere. And by the way, he's going to say, y'all need to stop doing that. You need to get your act together. And in some of the stuff that when Paul writes in there, he's like, do not make me come over there. I'm writing this letter to you. But if you guys do not, if I hear one more negative uh, comment about Corinth, I'm going to leave here and I'm coming and I'm bringing a six pack with me and it ain't to drink. It's to open up. And you know what, what happens after that? He's like, and he just wasn't, as a matter of fact, he didn't apologize for himself. He stated it. He's like, listen, I don't come with any enticing words. I don't come with any flowery speeches. I'm not the best preacher on the planet. I'm not one of those super apostles. But what I do come, I come with this. And, and we know from the evidence that he was a powerful person, but he was difficult. There are some things I read in there and, and I'm like, oh, Paul, that was harsh. You should have pulled Peter over to the side in private, you know, like. Dog, y'all were just having, they were having that conversation at the Mexican restaurant, dude, in front of all of the other people in the church. I'm like, he should have had some decorum. Paul was difficult. The woman at the well was difficult. Like that was a difficult situation. But Jesus was used to dealing with, with these difficult people. Like, you know, how's he... He, he's meeting with this woman. She's got this messy, messy, messy life. But Jesus is like, I think or I know that I can come in here and I can do some work with her. I can reveal some things to her. I can reveal myself to her and, you know, turn her into an evangelist. Where the whole town has shunned her, she goes back and gets the whole town. And says, y'all got to come out here and see this man that told me everything I ever did and showed me grace and love. And so she goes and evangelizes and, and brings hordes of people back to see Jesus. 
And so, you know, you've got all of these people who were difficult. You've got the, the guy who remains nameless in scripture called the rich young ruler, that rich young guy. I mean, if you think about this, this guy was difficult. So this guy comes to Jesus and, um, and what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him what he needs to do, what you need to go and do. And that guy was difficult for Jesus to reach because he didn't follow Jesus' prescription for eternal life. And he gave up the opportunity to become one of Jesus' disciples. Like if the answer had just been yes, we would have been reading a different story about him. And there's no telling which one of these books that he may have written or what exploits that he, he may have knew done for the Lord. But because he was difficult, we'll never know the answer to that. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus in the middle of the night where we get the greatest verse. Well, I mean, they're all great, but one of the greatest verses in scripture, John three sixteen, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and he's trying to really kind of clarify who Jesus was. Nicodemus was difficult because Jesus didn't persuade him. Jesus did not persuade every person that came across his path, but perhaps the most difficult person in Jesus' life. Anybody want to take a guess? Peter. Oh my gosh, man. I'm just telling y'all. If I had been Jesus and Peter was on my team, I probably would have kicked him to the curb about the 12th time he had messed up. But Jesus was so patient with Peter. I mean, if you look at Peter, look at, look at all these things. Peter, when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples, Peter's like, uh-uh, you ain't washing my feet. He's like, that's for the slave folks. That's for the servants. We are, that, that, that's not, and Jesus is like, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, if you don't let me show you what I need to show you, you'll have no part of me. And Jesus is like, uh, or Peter's like, well, don't just wash my feet. Wash my whole body. You know, I, I'm all in. And it's like, dude, are, is he on the opposite ends of the spectrum or what? I don't want none of it. No, you can, I, I'm, I'm all in. So uh, you think about that time. You think about when they were praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. All right. And Jesus, he's, he's already telling them, you know, he's leading up to his crucifixion and, and the guards come and what does Peter do? He pulls out the sword and he chops the guy's ear off and he wasn't aiming at his ear. <laughs> you know, he wasn't trying to be precision and like, I'm just, I'm just going to take I'm one of the ears. I think I'll go for the right one. No, he was, he was at the head. He was, he was intending. And Jesus is like, Put your sword away. What's wrong with you, Barney? <laughs> and so Jesus picks up the ear and pl puts it, super glues it back on the guy's head. And, you know, and, and, and he's basically saying, there, there's a time and this is not the time. Put that away. And he already knew what was going on. My God, he was one of the closest friends of Jesus and then you have him uh, in John 18, right after that, in that same 
cut off the ear part, Jesus, he's already told Peter. He said, Peter, you'll deny me three times. Not me. I will never deny you. I'll take a bullet for you. I'm here for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, boy, for the, you know, for the cock crows three times, you will desert me. So here's Peter again being difficult. He's overestimating himself. And Peter denies Jesus three times. He's difficult. Not being difficult. You understand? He's not being difficult. I just think I'm just going to deny the Lord. I just see what happens. That's being difficult. He was, he was a difficult person. There was something about that guy that was broke. It was broken. But Jesus saw something in him. And so he goes on. He denies Jesus three times. That's not the only screw up. I've got like three others and there's others. When Jesus is like, hey, Peter, James, John, I want you to go with me up on the mountain. And Jesus, he has that transfiguration experience there. And, you know, Peter and them, they are looking at this situation. And after it's all over, it's like right here, right here, right, right here. We're going to build this a church, man, on this spot. It's going to be the church of the transfiguration. And no, 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 that's not what this is about. He's in trouble again. Why? Because he's difficult. Just throw him aside, man. Kick him to the curb. Get rid of him. That dude's broke. He, he don't work right. He's not getting it. Yet for some reason, he's in the center of the circle called the sons of thunder they had a, a little nickname they had a little gang going on you know sup sons of thunder you know <laughs> peace jesus kept him close and then not only that but the dude in matthew chapter 16 has the nerve to reprimand jesus like, dude, it's one thing if you disagree. It's one thing if you have a difference of opinion. But you've got some chutzpah if you are going to correct Jesus. And he pulls Jesus aside. And Jesus is talking about the end times of, and, and the end of his time and what was to come. And he pulls Jesus aside and he's like, hey, I just have a little word with you. All, that's, all that stuff is like really getting us down. Like, you got to talk about something a little more positive. Like, you know, when, when, when are you going to start the kingdom? Like, when is the government going to be overthrown? Like, when are you going to come into power? When, is, when, it, when, it, when are we going to have our turn politically? You got to stop talking that way. And Jesus, surely none of these things are going to happen to you. That stuff's not going to happen. So stop saying that. You can go read it for yourself uh, in Matthew 16, 21. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because there was a false spirit behind him that was influencing him because he didn't want that to happen. And that's why I'm saying that we have to be careful in end times talk and really in any kind of, uh, of situation. We have to be careful 
that we don't allow what we want to happen to influence what God wants to happen. Because sometimes they're different because we don't want to suffer. I don't know about you, but I ain't into suffering. I'm not into that. But when we are called to to become partakers uh, in Christianity, we are called to a life of suffering. But that rubs cross grain to prosperity. But God has called us to be prosperous, and he's also called us to a cause of suffering. And Jesus said to him, listen, I'm suffering, and you're going to suffer. If you follow me, you're going to suffer. Christianity, there are parts of it that it's difficult, guys. It's tough. In this day and age, it's tough. It's tough to be cross-culture and stand up for the word and beliefs and morality based upon biblical principles. It's tough. It's difficult. We're going to be crucified. If they crucified him, he says they're going to crucify you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they cursed me, they're going to curse you. If they sought to kill me, they're going to uh, seek out you to kill. And then the last part of this is Jesus, he shows up and uh, really he shows up in John chapter 20 and all the, the, the resurrection has happened. Jesus has been crucified and he's resurrected, but the disciples are gone. It's like, what? Oh, three years I poured into these guys. Three years I gave my life, my time, 24-7. And where are my awesome leaders? They're hiding. They're all in a room. Most of the disciples, there were a few that weren't there. And Jesus shows up to, to them and he appears to them. All right, so that's just happened. All right, in, in chapter 21, where we're fixing to read here in just a second, in, in chapter 21, they've gone about their business. They're still in a state of confusion. They weren't expecting. They heard it. Jesus told them what was going to happen. He told them he would suffer. He told them that he was going to die. He told them that he would be resurrected. But somehow that just went whoosh, right, right over their head. And they're still in this state of confusion. They're still in this state, this fog. And so they're going back to what they're doing, which was fishing. So they're going back to fish and they're out there. Now you have to understand, Peter has denied Christ those three times. Pentecost has not happened yet. So Peter is not that fiery preacher that 3,000 plus people are getting saved. Right now, Peter is at a low point. Peter is a loser. Peter is a disappointment. Peter is like, you know, the, the, the lowest of the low. It's like the whole team is nothing but a failure. Like, what have I done for three years of my life? And so they're out there on uh, the, the uh, water and they're fishing and Jesus shows up. And I want you to, we're going to start at verse 10 in chapter 21. Jesus is speaking and he says, bring some fish that you've caught. Now, I'm not going into all the backstory about how they weren't catching and Jesus told them, put it on the other side and they caught it. And it was so many that they couldn't bring in the nets. I'm, I'm speeding through all of that. At verse 10, Jesus said, bring some of your fish that you've caught. So when Jesus is saying, I want you to look at this, the power of that statement. 
Jesus said, hey, the fish that brings some of those fish that you just caught. In other words, Jesus is saying to the disciples, I still am willing to partner with you. What you're out there doing, bring some of those fish with you. And we're fixing to partake, partner in a meal. And so as he says, bring some of the fish. So in verse 11, so Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. And Jesus says, now come and have some breakfast. Jesus, what is he doing to the difficult people? He's inviting them in. He's not pushing them away. He's not kicking them to the curb. He's inviting them in for community. And he says, uh, uh, and it says, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter. So he's asking the difficult person, the flunky of flunkies, the one who has messed up the most according to the written documentation that we have. He's, he's having a conversation with that guy. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me? Do you, do you love me? Just unconditionally, do you love me more than these, meaning the other men? He said, yes, Lord. Peter replied, you know I phileo you. Like, they're not talking the same language. Stick with me for a second. They're, they're saying love, but they're using two different words. It would be the equivalent of me saying to my wife, baby, do you love me? And she's like, boy, you know I like you. No, 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 that's not what I said. Do you love, do you love me? Yeah, I, I like you as a friend. Ugh, anybody ever heard that as a teenager growing up? I just want to be friends. Jesus is saying, Peter, I want to know how deep your love is for me. And Peter is saying, I love you, but he's repeating in phileo. That's brotherly love. It's a different kind of love. Um, and then he said, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. Take care of my sheep. This goes on for three times. You know it, you can read it. Three times the Lord says, the first two, Jesus says, Peter, do you agapeo me? Now, I don't know if you agree with this or whatever, I've never even heard a theologian say this, but I'm a theologian, so I'm saying it. That wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> the first two times, Jesus says, do you agape owe me? Do you love me? And Peter says, I phileo you. I do. I love you. I love you in this sense. And Peter, he never responds in I agape owe you, Jesus. He never responds that way. He just stays at phileo. But I want you to pay attention because you, you'd have to go into the Greek to understand this. The last time Jesus asked him, this is what Jesus did. And I'm just a acting as if there are levels of love. But Jesus, the third time, he didn't say, Peter, 
Do you agape oh agape? Say it with me. Agape oh. Now he he didn't. Peter. Jesus said to Peter. Peter, do you phileo me? You see what just happened there. Jesus. It's almost like he dropped his standard to where Peter could meet it. Sometimes, sometimes you have to hold the standard and and challenge people. But there are times, my friend, where it's like you got to relax the standard a little bit. And I love Jesus' love right here. Because do you agapeo me? Yeah, I phileo you. Do you agapeo me? Lord, you know I phileo you. Peter, do you phileo me? You see what happened? Woo, I get chill bumps when I think about it. The Lord's love was like, Peter, I know, I know you agapeo me, but you don't know that you agapeo me yet. But I'm, what I'm gonna do is I'm just, I'm gonna, I, I, I know it's there, Peter, but I know you, you need a step somewhere. Oh my God, this is good. I know there is a step in there that's missing for you. And Peter, for you, it's phileo. You can't go to agape. You need, you, you, you can't do it. There's some steps around here. One, give me just a second. I know I just walked out of the camera view, but it's like, you know, this is, this is what, you know, do you phileo? Man, that, this is not comfortable to do that. Why? It's too big. That's why we got this thing right here. This is phileo. This is agape. And man, he's like, Peter, here you go, buddy. <laughs> Peter, do you phileo me? He's like, oh, yes, sir, I do. I phileo you. And what you find is not far from there. I don't know exactly how many days, but Pentecost wasn't too far away. So 50-ish or however many it was. Peter, he had advanced to agape and now he's preaching agape to these people prophesying to them and 3,000 people plus come to know the Lord that day so look at this all right difficult people can be diamonds in the rough don't give up on difficult people it could be a Peter Don't give up on difficult people. Thank God somebody didn't give up on me when I was difficult. I know there are times I'm still difficult, but when I was really, really difficult, thank God that people didn't give up on me so that I could become a diamond in the rough. I mean, if you knew where I came from, the kind of people that I came from, the mindsets, the mentality, it would be like them when they said to Jesus, isn't that just Mary and Joseph's boy? Aren't they from over there on the other side of the tracks in Nazareth? Does anything good come out of that neighborhood? I'm telling you, that is my life story. But thank God somebody and some bodies along the way stuck with me when I was difficult. I look back and my life as a minister, young minister, all the mistakes that I made. Thank you, Jesus, that somebody stuck with me. How do you, how do you respond to difficult people? Because the world is watching how we respond. And you know what? Sometimes this is important. Sometimes the world is the difficult person. 
You know, we think the whole, you know, like the whole mass world is watching us. Sometimes the world is an individual and the world is the person at your work or in your family or in your circle of influence that they're the world that's looking at you. It's just two eyeballs. It could be 18 million, but it's just two right now. And they're watching how I'm going to respond and how you're going to respond. And they need for us to respond in love like Jesus did. Because everything that we do has, has to be born out of love. When you start looking at love, but the fruit of the spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Like those are the, is the fruit of the spirit. And that when we deal with difficult people, that's how we should be dealing with them. How do we respond? I'm telling you, just like Jesus did. Now, this isn't probably fixing to go on the screen behind me like you probably are thinking it is. Love them. Just love them. What does love look like? Love looks like a lot of things. I just gave you some of them. But love also looks like being strong. I mean, if David and I were having a discussion and David says something to me and I said, get behind me, Satan. That's powerful. Not in a good way. That's a powerful statement. That's a strong statement. I guess in today's language, it would be like, uh, you know, David, right now you're operating under the influence of the enemy. Like you're allowing the devil to use you. That is strong. But that's how Jesus operated. He operated still in love. He spoke the truth in love. Look for their worth. Like it's easy to see all the garbage and all of the negative that the enemy will point out to you. But look at where their value what they're good at. Focus in on that. Because so many times the world is already focused in, uh, on all of this. And many times they are manifesting because the world's focusing on all of that. So for us, what we could do is instead of focusing in on all of that, focus in on the value that that person brings. And I'm telling you what, you could try this today at the restaurant that you go to when you leave this place. Don't focus on the fact that she didn't bring your sweet tea. Don't focus on the fact that they burnt your catfish. Don't focus on the fact that the floor was dirty. Focus on something good. Like, man, you have such a beautiful smile. Or, hey, you've taken, I, thank you for loving my kids so well. You were so sweet to my kids. Focus on something of their worth. Let people walk away. In Mark chapter 10 and John chapter 3, Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler comes and Jesus is face to face with that guy. Look, how did Jesus respond in this difficult situation? He let that guy walk away. Ooh, I'm telling you what, there's a lot of preachers I know wouldn't let him walk away. He was what? Rich. He was rich. Um, well, brother, I'm just going to tell you, let me have a talk with a few people. I think we can figure something out, you know. 
And uh, yeah, we could change those things. Yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to sing that many songs. We don't have to sing. We could cut them back. We can cut a c- couple of songs back in the service. You know. Yeah, I can preach uh, different. I, I, you know, I, I, I get it. I can, you know. Uh, uh-uh. uh. Jesus let him walk. Nicodemus. Nicodemus. John chapter three. Who is Nicodemus? He is a member of the Sanhedrin. He is the most, one of the most powerful people in the religious world. You talk about, oh, Jesus. You talk, not, don't let that one get away. This, this guy will have you uh, preaching in Roman Colosseums and you'd be selling out uh, stadiums if you have Nicodemus on your team. And Jesus screwed that opportunity up. Not really. But if you look at it, you go, Jesus, you just said, the man comes to you and says, we know that you're from God. We know God sent you. See, they didn't know he was the Messiah, but they knew they couldn't deny. He said, because we know the works you do are from God. And then Jesus begins to say, well, listen, Nicodemus, no man's going to enter heaven unless they're born again. And he said, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, blah, blah, blah. You get it. Ah, what? You had a key opportunity right there. You could, why did you say, you could have said, for God so loved the world that he sent me. I'm talking about me right here. Who you're looking for is he. He did that with the woman at the well, but he did not do that with Nicodemus. Why? Because Nicodemus' heart was not in the right place. He was operating under a religious spirit and regardless of what he could add in a, in a uh, like, I guess, a worldly way to Jesus' ministry, Jesus was willing to let these people walk away. And it was okay. He loved them. Because you can't force people to love you. You cannot force people to join your mission. You cannot force people to give their heart to the Lord. Leave. How do you respond to difficult people? Leave. Make yourself absent. Excuse yourself from the situation. There are times when Jesus, he just walked away. He w- when he was in Nazareth, he was there to bring healing and, and, and deliverance, but the people of his community, they would not receive him. And what did he do? He left. He did a few things and he left. What did he do? He took his traveling ministry on to the next town. And he told his disciples, he said this, he said, if you go into a place and they do not um, receive you, if they're not ready to receive the working of the Holy Spirit, if they're not ready to receive it, if they don't bless it, then shake the dust off your feet. Why? Don't take that into the next town. Don't take that spirit of whatever. Don't take that, not, you know, wipe that mess off and then move on to people who are receptive. So there are times where you have to leave. 
And I've done that, and I don't know, maybe you've done that. And there are times where you have to say, I have poured into this long enough, or I'm pouring into this, or I've either made an opportunity and they've not received it. So let them walk away or you walk away. Then number five, look at yourself. Like, is this me? Am, am I a problem? Am I causing some of the chaos or whatever? Because in Matthew chapter seven, this is where we get that uh, statement called plank eye, plank eye syndrome, where Jesus says, hey, don't, don't, don't be focusing on everybody else's junk when you got junk, bigger junk in your eye. You know, you focus this little thing and you, you've got this going on. And so he's like, pay attention to yourself. Focus on you and what you've got going on. So when we are learning to deal and respond to difficult people, I'm telling you what, there's not a day go by that goes by that I don't try to do some form of self-reflection or introspection. God, what's going on in my world? How, I, you know, how is this causing me to respond to people, interact with people? And then the last one is look for a win-win in situations. Dealing with difficult people, look for a win-win. Not a lose and I win or I lose but you win. But you look for a situation where both parties can come to an agreement and there's you feel valued and I feel valued. There's something that satisfies you and something that satisfies me. Maybe you had to give something up and I give something up too. But there always can be opportunity for win-win. But it doesn't always mean that a win-win will happen. When we train in the seven habits of highly effective people, I think that's number six maybe uh, in the habits. And so it's, uh, I think it's win-win. It's lose-win, like you lose, but I win. Then it's lose-win, where I lose, but you won. Uh, It's lose-lose, we both get irritated with each other and we're done, we ain't having anything. Or no deal, no deal is the fifth option. And it's just, hey, I love you and you love me, but we we, we don't have to interact in that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. When that guy walked away, Uh, He really lost the rich young ruler. But it was a sort of a no deal. Jesus didn't stop loving that guy because he walked away. Jesus still loved him. That guy, when he walked away, I'll guarantee you he didn't didn't go, yeah, I don't like what he said to me and I'm done with that. No, he was probably as, as devout a Jew as he ever was. And he's probably still love, you know, had his love for the Messiah. He just missed his opportunity. And so sometimes it's just a, hey, we can love each other, but we don't have to see things the same way or eye to eye. And that's an art that the body of Christ has lost. If we didn't vote for the same guy, we can't be friends. If we don't both agree about wearing a mask, then, you know, I can't, I can't go to church with you and I can't be your friend. 
if, if you got the vaccination, I can't be your friend. You know, I mean, we get, I'm like, dude, 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 we got to love people, man. The world is watching us. Let's love well. Amen. All right. So this is how you can activate the word today. Ask Holy Spirit, is this person or people an opportunity or an obstacle for me? Am I an opportunity or an obstacle? But there are people in your life that God gives you. And I just want to toss this out for you to consider. There are more opportunities than obstacles for you. Everybody's not a problem. Everybody's not, you know, got to keep them out. You know, there are more opportunities. So rise to the occasion Ask the Lord, God, why have you placed, not, not, not this, not why have you placed this person in my life? Because I've done that before. That's the wrong question. Jesus, why have you got this person in my life? What are you thinking? The question you should be asking is, Jesus, why have you got me in that person's life? Are you following me? What is my assignment here? And ask the Lord that. See what he says and say, Lord, is this my opportunity or is this person an obstacle for me? And the person may indeed be an obstacle. They may be keeping you back from what you need to be doing. But I'll guarantee you there's going to be more opportunities than there are obstacles every single time. So I love you. I pray that the word has inspired you to um, let the world see Jesus in you. And I pray that as you go out, you're going to use your influence and you're going to use it well.